All right, so this, um, I don't know how this is titled in your Bible, 1 Kings 8, but um, starting in verse 22, uh, let's see, my Bible calls this Solomon's Prayer of Dedication. So just a, a quick background. First Kings or Second Kings? First Kings. Yeah, first. And uh, chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 22. And different. Is where we'll start. What's that? Mine says the ark brought into the temple. No. Verse okay. 20, chapter 8. Verse 22. Ah. Oh. <laughs> um, so just here's where we're at, uh, like recent history, because in our reading plan we've passed this. We're almost at the end of Second Kings, um, and we've been through a bunch of kings, and we can't even. We, I mean, you just don't remember who all of them are, what happened with all of them, but mostly they were bad and horrible <laughs> things, and you know. Uh, Solomon, not too bad so far, um, and Solomon is king in this passage, hey John. Um, so Solomon was like the third king, right? You had Saul as the first one, David his son, and now Solomon, David's son. Uh, Solomon is king. This is, this is while Israel is still one nation under God. There's just, they have a single monarchy king, and this is just before the kingdom splits off into the northern tribe of Israel, and, or the northern tribes of Israel and the southern um, of Judah. And so uh, we're, we're really at a high point, actually, in the story where we're looking tonight. And Solomon, um, he's just built this incredible temple for the Lord, all right? And there's been chapters to describe what that looked like and how amazing it was. But he's built this temple for the Lord, a dwelling place for God's name. Now, who first wanted to build this temple? His father. David. His father, King David. And um, in 2 Samuel, the previous book, 7, God tells David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name. So not you, David, but Solomon, your son's going to build the house, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, God tells David. Your throne shall be established forever. It's his promise to David in the previous generation, and now his son Solomon is ruling. And so they build this huge temple. This is just to kind of catch you up where we're at. They've just, um, as Clayton pointed out in the beginning of chapter 8, they just brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. Um, what would you say is the significance of the Ark of the Covenant? Ark of the Covenant uh, represents God's presence. In, uh, so God's presence rested on the kind of lid, the mercy seat, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. central point, at least on earth, of God's presence where it dwelled. Okay. What, what, any other significance to the Ark? That, Y'all can think of. So the other thing that I remembered about the uh, the the covenant of the ark, when when the ark when the covenant of the ark was placed in another place, that family was blessed. Do you remember when yeah. the ark was brought to some other family? They had to hide the ark, and the family was blessed till that the covenant of the ark was taken out. They still were blessed, but that yeah. that ark brought blessing to yeah. that family. So. Yeah, it certainly has the power to bless and to not be a blessing. Yeah, um, yeah. Really it's stolen, like gave it back. Uh, yeah. Take it, we don't want it. Yeah, so there's power, I mean, it's God's presence and you just don't do with it whatever you want to. It's, it's um, 
Yeah, what's in the Ark of the Covenant? Staff Moses. Aaron. Oh, Aaron's yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure when the staff is there or when it's not. At, at least, I think even in the reading it said at this point there's the only thing in there is the ten is the, the tablets. tablets. Um, staff, there was the three elements in there. Yeah, I'm not, at least, I'll just say this, I don't know exactly. At least we've got the, the, the tablets at this point. Maybe there's, maybe Aaron's staff is there. Um, but these, these tablets written by God really represent this covenant that God has with his people, Israel, the, 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 co the Mosaic covenant. And so, yeah, the, the ark, it's the center of the glory of God on earth. It's a scary thing. When you touch it, you die if you're not supposed to. And it contains the commandments, God's uh, covenant with the people. And it says in verse 10 of this chapter, when the priests came out of the holy place, they brought the ark in. When they come out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. All right? So God kind of shows his approval, I suppose, of the temple and of the ark being there. And now we're going to read Solomon's prayer of, of dedication, you could say, as uh, some of your pericopes say. Um, so just uh, let me start here. 1 Kings 8, verse 22. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord... God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keep co keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. It's kind of crazy as I'm looking at my new Bible. I think it's a different font. So I'm like, what's, okay, here, let me see. Or maybe I just turned 37, so maybe it's my eyesight. Um, in verse 23, Solomon addresses God in recognition of a couple character traits of God. He mentions God's covenant faithfulness and his steadfast love. So God does what he says, and he's full of love for his people. And it's not just like who God is. God has shown that to the people of Israel. It's not just some cold characteristics. It's one thing to kind of tell somebody or, or to say, hey, that's a kind person. But it's another thing to say, here's, here's where I've seen their kindness, right? You go to a funeral and you have somebody that maybe wasn't a very nice person. And what do people do when they're standing up to say things? They make up a bunch of stuff. and. Uh, and it's like, no, we want to hear the story. Like, you can't just say, well, they were a good man or they loved their family or whatever. Like, we want to hear the stories that show what made the person what you're saying that they are. Uh, otherwise, it's not all that believable. So in verse 24, um, Solomon says, you spoke with your mouth, God, and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. What's he fulfilled this day? 
Yeah. Completing, completing the temple, more or less, which was had been promised, remember, to David. So you've you've uh, fulfilled it this day. So so we know that your character is faithful <coughs> because personally we've seen not to mention many other things, but we've seen your faithfulness come to pass. You've done what you've said. What you said, you'll do it. Um, and we know it to be true. And he goes on to say, therefore, basically, because you've always done what you said you were going to do, we trust that you'll follow through on your promises that you've made, namely that you will establish the kingship of the line of David forever. We've seen your faithfulness in the past. We expect that you're going to keep everything else that you've told us you're going to do, which involves that there will um, be, be a king forever along in David's line. All right, verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? Solomon's making a good just theological point here. Like, we, we've made this temple for you, God, for your, for your presence to dwell. But we understand, God, that you're much bigger than this temple. Like, this temple is not going to contain you. The heavens and the earth can't contain you. Um, so that's good to recognize there. Verse 28, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. So Solomon, he's confident in God's Character Specifically, he's mentioned his faithfulness, his, his hesed love, steadfast love. Because of the past, he's praying that, that God will hold true to his promises then in the future because of that. Meanwhile, things are going to come up in Israel. There's going to be different, different events that go down in the coming years that Solomon is going to anticipate here. And he's going to mention seven things in the coming verses that are likely to happen in the future. Some of them he says, if this happens. Other things he says, when this happens. So some of them he definitely expects, and others he's like, yeah, this is probably going to happen, so if it does. And the point will be that when any of these things happen, the response of Israel should be to cry out to the Lord in prayer toward the temple. Okay? So um, somebody just read... 31 and 32 um, for the first kind of circumstance that Israel may face. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. Okay, so in, in what circumstance is somebody coming before the Lord asking something of the Lord here? Somebody's sinned against his neighbor. They're trying to figure out the truth of the matter, right? Like the guy says that he's done this or that, and God's going to either confirm that or, or deny that. All right, that's probably likely to happen. Verse 33, somebody read 33 and 34. 
And your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you. And if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. Okay, so what's the circumstance that's going to drive them, in this case, to praying to the Lord? Right there in verse 33. Defeated. Yeah, they've been defeated by the enemy. Because of why? God. Yep, they sinned. Okay, verse 35 and 36, the next circumstance that's likely to come up. Somebody read that. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk grant and grant rain I lost my spot. What was that reading again? Grant Rain. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Michelle. Yeah, so, and Lord, you got it? Okay. No, and Grant Rain upon your land. <laughs> grant Rain upon your land, which you have given your people as an inheritance. So, here in verse 35, what what's the circumstance where they're going to cry out to the Lord? The drought? Yeah, drought. Okay. Uh, verse 37 to 38, uh, actually 37 through 40. Somebody read that. If there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart, stretching out his hand towards this house. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, uh, and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Okay, so when are they going to have to cry out to the Lord in prayer? Famine, and they list a bunch of other kind of seemingly natural disasters, right? Um, and sickness, and plagues, and caterpillar infestation, and all those horrible things, you know? It seems like, it seems like the temple is like the, the, the house of prayer. Yeah. Because they come and pray. Yeah, for we'll talk about that. Yeah. Things. Okay, uh, the next one, there's two more. Uh, verse... Uh, I'm sorry, three more. Verse 41 through 43, that next paragraph. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know that know your name, and fear you, as do your people, people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. All right, so in this case, who is it that's calling out to the Lord? Yeah, a foreigner. Yeah, a foreigner who decides for whatever reason, they, they've heard of the great name of the Lord, they decide, I want to worship as well. And so they'll call out to the Lord, and he'll hear their prayer, or, or Solomon's asking that the Lord would hear their prayer. All right, verse 44 and 45, somebody read 
If your people go out to battle against their enemy by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. Okay. What's the situation here? Battle. Yeah, like going out to battle. The previous one early on was they were defeated by their enemy. This is just in going out to battle. They're gonna <coughs> they're going to pray to the Lord toward the city and the house that Solomon built for his name. Okay, and lastly, this is kind of a, a longer little section, but let's read the whole thing, 46 to uh, 53. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies, who carry them captive, and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and a house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carry them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. All right. Um, the situation here? Exile. Yeah, the, the exile, which I don't know, does he say if, well, if they sin against you? But, but he's mentioning something that if you're familiar with how the story unfolds, this is going to happen. They're going to be, because of their sin, they're going to be defeated by their enemy, and they're going to be carried captive and taken out of And the temple will be destroyed. And the temple will be destroyed. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so a bunch of different circumstances that Solomon's kind of anticipating. These are the types of things that are likely to happen in Israel in the coming years. Do you notice there's a lot of similarities in each of these things? There's kind of a pattern that he goes through. It starts with if this happens or when this happens, if or when this happens. And the people cry out to the Lord, or they plea with the Lord, pray to the Lord, it says in different places. Then Solomon's asking in his prayer to God, God, would you please hear their prayer, and more or less, would you respond to their prayer? Okay, that's kind of the pattern that all of them go through. But I want to kind of break these down into three different categories. The, the first three that we see, starting 31, 33, 35, and then this last one in 46, they all kind of share something in common that it, that it points out. Um, why would the following things come to pass in the life of Israel? I mentioned it earlier, but a, a need for proper judgment in verse 31, being defeated in battle. Why, why would this happen in drought, in exile, like verse 46 starts to talk about? What's, how, how come those things are likely to happen, or what's going to cause those things to happen? Sin. Sin. Yeah, if a man sins against his neighbor, uh, verse 33, because they've sinned against you, 35, because they've sinned against you, verse 46, if they sin against you, and there's no one who does not sin. So 
it's all these, some of these circumstances they're going to face, a lot of them, maybe the majority of them, they're going to be crying out to the Lord because a calamity has come because of sin that they've committed. Sin brings calamity. And the assumed proper response when calamity comes is, uh, in all of these, it's, it's not just pray, the, pray to God that the calamity is going to go away, but it's what goes along with that prayer. Not just take the calamity away. Turn it. Repentance, yeah. Um, verse 48 kind of summarizes it well. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart and pray, okay, then, then God would you act on their behalf. God's not going to listen if you don't repent of your sin. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of difficult things that are going to happen in life. There's difficult things that are going to happen to the people of Israel as a whole. There's difficult things that are going to happen to the church as a whole. And we don't only pray for those difficult things to be taken away, but first we probably need to ask, do we need to repent of sin? Um, God uses these things in our life not just to make us better prayers, but as a form of correction in our lives, sometimes. Um, there's uh, the commentator in New American Standard, Paul House, says God corrects, in this case he's using several of these things we've mentioned, God corrects in order to effect needed changes, not to vent personal anger. He's not just out of control, just like, uh, what do I do with this? But he's, he's causing correction in the people of Israel as these things are going to come up. So here's the pattern. We sin, or, or Israel sins, calamity comes upon them, and they repent and cry out to the Lord for help. And Solomon lists these specific kind of circumstances caused by sin as maybe typical examples of when we need to turn to the Lord in prayer and repent. By the way, I think, just a little sidebar, um, like, I'm not convinced the same type of thing doesn't happen to us as well. Um, I think sometimes we are sick because we're sinning. Um, I don't think that's, I definitely don't think that's always the case, but I think sometimes calamity does come into our life because of our sin. I don't think things have changed all that drastically. There's correction that God brings into our life, or discipline, if you want to call it that, and so I, this, again, it's just a little side thing, but like lately, I, I was sick a couple of times in December, and lately when I get sick, just I'm, I'm convinced from scripture, from scripture, one of the places I need to go in my sickness is just ask the Lord to kind of search my heart and say, is there, any, is there sin in me? Like, are you trying to get my attention and, and correct my course of life? Um, I think that's possible. And so there's a few cents for you just to take home with you. Think about that. Um, so, number two, uh, n- not just when, when sin is involved, but if you look at the fourth set of circumstances there, starting verse 37, kind of that list of things, why does famine and pestilence and blight and mildew and locusts and caterpillar and sickness, why are those going to come to Israel? Yeah, we can kind of infer sin because a little bit later he's going he's to ask God, would you forgive them? But it's not quite as direct as the others. Like, you, this has happened because you've sinned and, and then we're, they're going to repent and they're going to turn to the Lord. Um, oftentimes, we've read about it in Israel's history, 
the drought and famine, the sickness, and these other disasters happen because of their sin. For Israel, oftentimes, I think they, they would just assume that. If things aren't going right, God said we'd be blessed if we keep his commandments and that we'd be cursed if we don't. So when things aren't going right, it's just, it's, um, that's just what God had, had promised. Um, but sometimes not. Sometimes maybe calamity happens, as we can probably think of things that happen, that maybe it's for some other purpose of God. It's not necessarily to correct my sin. You remember the, the man born blind that Jesus uh, sees, and the, the people, his disciples, are asking him, who sinned? Was it, you know, they're assuming this guy, he's blind, so somebody must have sinned. Was it him, or was it his parents, or what's going on? And Jesus tells them it's not the man that sinned, that this blindness wasn't caused by sin, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So it's just, it got, for whatever other reason, God has chosen to, to show his works and to show his glory and to show his power through his son, Jesus. Um, and that's, that's why the calamity came. Maybe there's a number of other reasons God can use different things that happen in the world. But nevertheless, what's the response of God's people, or what should it be? What's he expecting them to do? when those calamities that we don't know where exactly they came from, what's the response that they're supposed to have? They have to go before God and pray. Pray to God, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's the same response. Yeah. Pray before the Lord. Maybe I don't know of repentance that needs to take place, but I need to cry out to the Lord for help. Then the fifth and kind of sixth set of circumstances, um, the, the last or uh, the one starting in verse 41 and starting in verse 44, they also have something in common. It's the foreigner that's coming into Israel to seek the Lord, and it's Israel going out to battle. These two, it's pretty clear, there's, it's not that these things are happening because of sin or directly because of Israel's sin. They're, just, they're, they're going about their course of life, and these things are happening. One of those is they're going out to battle, but he's not directly tying it to their sin. And... Here's what I want us to see in, these, in those two. Even if things aren't going wrong because of sin, as life happens, he's still telling them, cry out to the Lord in prayer. Seek the Lord. Pray, in their case, pray toward the temple. Seek him. So even though like we have these varied circumstances that Israel's going to face, some are a result of sin, some aren't, some we don't know why things are happening this way, what does Solomon know is going to be Israel's proper response to any of those circumstances? Prayer. Prayer. Cry out to the Lord. When anything happens, or when anything's about to happen, I think these are just summaries of a lot of what's going to happen, turn to the Lord that he will forgive if needed and maintain your cause, it says a couple of times. Solomon prays um, in verse 52 that the eyes of the Lord be open to the plea of his people, giving ear to them whenever they call to him. Like, it's, it's all times, any time. All right. We face circumstances as God's people today. Some may sound familiar to this in some ways, and others don't sound familiar. Our knee-jerk reaction to whatever is going on in our life should also be to call out to the Lord, to pray. And 
just want to stop here for a second and, and ask and consider, can we make this the pattern of our lives and the church as individuals this year? That whatever is going on, whether it's good or bad, it's a result of sin or not, can we make it our pattern just to say, oh, well, now is a good time to call out to the Lord in prayer. <laughs> I'm sick. I better cry out to the Lord in prayer. The enemy has taken over my life or our lives in these areas. We better cry out to the Lord in prayer and repent. This natural disaster has hit Ventura, and it's hit our family and our friends. We better cry out to the Lord in this situation. And mudslides. Mudslides, yeah. yeah. The new believers come into our midst. We better teach them to cry out to the Lord. We're going to face something maybe significant this year as a church. We better together cry out to the Lord. In everything, can we make it a pattern to repent when necessary and be a people who cry out to the Lord um, and plea with Him to respond to us? Um, I want to look at something else that's going on. In every one of the seven circumstances, the people are to pray and it, it gives a location. It, it says mostly toward the temple. Uh, verse 31, it's talking about they swear an oath and, and they're, they're working this out before the altar in the temple. Verse 33 says they'll, they'll pray aloud and plead with you in this house is the place of prayer. Verse 35 says they'll pray toward this place, speaking of the temple. Verse 38, they'll stretch out their hands toward this house. Verse 42, every one of the seven, they will pray toward this house. Verse 44 talks about they'll pray toward the city, Jerusalem, and the house. Verse 48, and they will pray toward the land, the city, and the house. They're praying in that direction. Now, that's kind of an odd thing for me to grasp, praying towards the temple. It sound, I mean, we, we know that because Muslims today, right, will pray towards Mecca, right? They'll, they'll find the direction that that is and they pray in that direction. Um, but it, it, it's not only a, a thing in Islam. Like, we can read about, if you remember in the book of Daniel, when Daniel's praying, he opens his window toward Jerusalem and he prays in that direction. So it's especially kind of odd sounding for us maybe because as, as New Testament believers, we don't worship at a, a physical temple anymore, right? So, um, like, we usually pray with our eyes closed, and we're just maybe recognize, maybe we're blocking out distraction, but we're recognizing, hey, God is spirit. He doesn't really dwell just in, in this physical location on earth um, in the way that he did here. Um, but I think even in Solomon's day, it's an interesting thing to suggest that the people should pray toward the temple. I say it's an interesting notion for him because first of all, he's already acknowledged that God can't be contained in the heavens or the earth. But secondly, in every one of the seven situations, Solomon asked God to hear from heaven. You expect him to say, hear from your temple, or we're praying toward, but he's hear from heaven and respond. So pray toward the temple and God will hear from heaven. I think it's kind of significant, those words. I mean, it's significant enough to repeat seven times here. Let's interact a little bit. What did the temple represent to the people of Israel? 
And you could, in a similar way, we could say maybe the tabernacle, but specifically the temple. What does it represent to God's people? Let's, we can make a list of a few things. It looks like a God's presence. Okay, so God's presence. That's presence. what what um, what we've mentioned earlier, because the Ark of the Covenant is yeah. there, the Holy of Holies. This is where the Shekinah glory of yeah. God is. It's a picture of yeah. heaven and the garden. Okay, yeah, yeah. We've, we've learned with all of the decoration and the... the pomegranates and gold and everything it's like it's it's supposed to draw people's mind toward the perfection and goodness of Eden and heaven and it's just this beautiful perfect place okay what else might the temple kind of stand for it's a place where the people can go to be clean again okay ever since forgiven yeah atonement and I'm a priest uh, probably performed one one time per year that intercession in the in the most holy place in the temple yep. for to, to confess the sins for the nation which was prior to the temple was the tabernacle or the tent mm -hmm. and the tent was just a shadow for the for the coming temple so also yep. forgiveness of sins yep yeah yep. good and that's i mean uh kind of like the presence but that's that was the only way you could really approach God, mm -hmm. um, because like, and your priest would have to be there for you, but that was the closest you could get to God, so if you wanted to actually approach him and pray pray to his presence, then yeah. you had to be there. Yeah. Yeah, good. So, so the other thing, uh, reading to reason, I, it seems like, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like that the temple functions also like, like, a, like, a, like a judge, like a court, where you... Mm -hmm. Uh, make things right with your neighbors, things yeah. like like uh, like they know the court where the people go and and deal with several issues, try to prove whether they're guilty or not yep. guilty. That's what I see also. That yeah. functions as a as a court, kind of a court courthouse yeah. of sorts. Yeah, yeah. courthouse. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I want to um, just mention three things. Two of them you said specifically. Um, I think everything that you said is the temple has some kind of representation of that. First of all, certainly it represents the presence of God to the people of Israel. Um, specifically the Holy of Holies, specifically the, the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Um, so Israel could say, yeah, I pray in that direction because that's where God is. Like to them, this is this is their, their real kind of presence of God. It's a little more tangible. It's like that's where God is. So I pray in that direction. Like, where, where am I going to go to God and talk to him, but, but the temple, or at least I'm going to turn in that direction. Like, could God hear their prayer if they were facing the other way? Yeah, but usually when you're talking to somebody, you're like, you face them, unless you're male, and then you stand side by side and kind of mm -hmm. talk like at an angle at each other. Um, but you don't like, you don't turn like, you don't, you don't turn the other way or look away. Like, the person that you're talking to, you speak to. Um, Okay, so the presence of God. The temple represents the faithfulness of God. Um, the fact that the temple is standing there, that God had promised David, Solomon would build, and it's sitting there in a particular city that God had promised in Deuteronomy 12 that, that there was going to be a particular city, and it's sitting in the land that God had promised to 
the, the fathers of these people, these were all signs of God's faithfulness. He did what he said he was going to do. God had brought to, to happen exactly what he said was going to happen. Or this um, later in the chapter says, not one word had failed of all God's good promises, including the land, the city, the temple. The commandments of the Lord are sitting in the Ark of the Covenant. That's God's, God's a symbol of the covenant that God made with his people. He brought them up out of the land of Egypt, God's faithfulness. So nowhere else would Israel be reminded more of the faithfulness of God than uh, maybe in the temple of the Lord. And so by praying toward the temple, Solomon and Israel, they're a appealing sort of to the faithfulness of God. I remember what you've done. And so that, that strengthens my prayer to you. Um, basically, they're not, they're not praying to this empty God <coughs> who had never done anything for them, but there were tangible realities that they could see that were really represented by the temple. Um, that reminded them that God is faithful and that he'll continue to be faithful. Verse 24, you spoke with your mouth and with your hand you have fulfilled it to this day. So they turn toward the temple to remember and appeal to his faithfulness. By the way, I don't, I don't know that Solomon's suggesting that they had to necessarily turn physically toward the temple, but that's kind of the posture of their heart. So the presence of God the temple represents, the faithfulness of God, and it represents forgiveness or, or atonement for sin. That's the, at that time, through the sacrificial system, mm -hmm. sin is being covered over. It's being forgiven. Um, what happened in that physical location of the temple is what gave Israel access to God. That's how God, um, he, he gives them this crystal clear picture of the mercy of God through all this animal blood that was shed year after year, most of which happened in this temple. So all these times in the future that Solomon's praying for, when all of these different things happen to them, much of it which will be brought about by their sin, right? As they repent, they turn toward this place of atonement, and they ask their merciful God once again to forgive. So it's all wrapped up in the temple, God's presence, God's faithfulness, God's atonement, and so that was the, the direction of their prayer. You could say it like this. They prayed through the temple toward God who hears from heaven. So it's kind of this direction, and then that's the, the conduit. So you can't just walk up to God and start talking. God sets up for Israel this conduit of communication, the temple, the house of prayer. And the temple was this place of, of mediation through the priests and the sacrifices. So... What's the significance of all of that for us? Um, this is, we've kind of talked mostly about Israel here. The significance is that we too need a place of mediation in order to approach God. Well, what is that for us? Christ. Jesus, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say a place, but we, we have a person. Um, 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I think you could say that we, like Israel, can approach God in prayer only through the temple. You think, well, wait a second. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, but... 
Jesus says in Jerusalem before he dies, after kind of making a scene in the temple, he says, destroy this temple, and what? In three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You raise it up in three days. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus is our temple. The temple for Israel was this dwelling place of God among his people, his presence. God's presence among us, Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. The temple was a symbol of God's covenant faithfulness to his people, a reminder of how he'd accomplished everything that he said he was going to accomplish. That faithfulness of God to us, the, the promised Messiah came in Christ. God promised and he delivered. The temple for Israel was the place of that atonement happened, where Israel was kind of made right with God. The atonement for us found only in Jesus himself. The Old Testament temple is a, a shadow of Jesus, who's like a new and better temple. So when we pray, what direction are we to face as the New Testament people of God? Yeah, as we approach God himself, I heard it whispered, we turn toward Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives and makes intercession for them. Another way you can look at it is talking about uh, God's name. Maybe you could summarize God's presence and his faithfulness, these things that the temple represented, his atonement. Maybe you could summarize a lot of those things by just saying the, the name of God, God's name. Remember, we've talked about in the Bible, unlike today, a lot of times your name represents who you are. And it's, it means, it has like actual meaning. It's not just trendy and, oh, I think I'll name my child this because it sounds kind of cool and it's not too popular, but it's kind of popular. And, no, it's like your name actually means something. And we looked at God's name uh, revealed in Exodus 3, Yahweh, which kind of sounds like he is, he exists, he always has been, he is. Um, and so um, back up a few verses in 1 Kings 8 here. <laughs> Notice this idea of the name and how closely connected it is with the temple. Uh, verse 16 says, Since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt... I chose no city of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of David, this is Solomon speaking now, in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made, for I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. Listen, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Notice in verse 29, the temple is the place of which you, God, had said, my name shall be there. 
And in verse 43, Solomon wants the foreigner to know that this house that I have built is called by your name, God. Israel was called to pray toward the temple or toward this house of the name of God. Now here's just a cool connection I think that we can make. In whose name do we pray? Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. John 16, 23, Jesus says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. I think our prayers, um, traditionally, we end our prayers saying in Jesus' name a lot of times, right? Um, I think that's a good practice that helps guide what we're praying for. I Just this week, I, was, I heard a pastor say how he would train his kids as they were praying to not rush through that last little phrase in Jesus' name, amen, like it's just one kind of final word all tied to amen, but he would encourage them to, to think, to deliberately speak those words and understand what they were saying as they would say, pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So praying or asking something in Jesus' name is, I think, kind of like our version of praying toward the temple, Jesus among other things. So, just to finish up, how, how does this affect our prayer life? I think that we don't pray to a God who has no presence or no character that we've seen or no connection to us, but we pray to the God who has revealed his presence perfectly in Jesus, his very presence and that spirit's now dwelling in us. We pray to the God who has been faithful to us by providing Jesus. We pray to the God who has demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if Israel was praying toward a temporary kind of shadow of God's presence and faithfulness in the atonement, his name in the temple, how much more confidently can we pray now in Jesus' name. And when we pray in Jesus' name, or I'll ask you this, when are we to pray in Jesus' name? All, I like to say, you're like a whisper answer. <laughs> yeah, Jesus whispered. Israel is praying toward the temple, toward the name of the Lord to their God all the time in any circumstance you could imagine we've laid them out. It's appropriate that we go before God our Father through the name, in the name of Jesus Christ, all the time, all circumstances, in calamity that's caused by sin, in calamity that's caused by I don't know what, in other times, even when things aren't happening just because of sin, we cry out to God for help in Jesus' name as the ultimate reminder of God's presence and his faithfulness and the atonement. A couple of questions just to kind of bounce around to y'all. Um, when you pray, what are the circumstances or what types of circumstances are are you likely are, are likely to cause you to pray, I should say? Like what generally gets you to pray? Heartache, pain. What was the first one? Heartache. Heartache or pain, okay. So a heartache that's maybe some emotional pain or Maybe there's physical pain, okay? Those are things that often drive you, Charles, to, to, to pray. Sometimes it's confusion. 
maybe don't know what to do with life or where to go, what's the next steps. Yep. Seems like that's the other times when you know that God already has arranged your days and He knows, and then just at the right time you just go and ask God what, what what's next. Yep. Those are those times when you come and, and pray God. Yep. So, and, and that's one of those that it's like, yeah, there's not necessarily, uh, I don't, there's not necessarily sin mixed in the equation, yeah. but it's just like I need to have direction and help in knowing what the what the right thing is. Okay. When I want something. When you want something. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's uh, thankfulness. Like also, you come before God. Sometimes you have so much good. Romans, I love you. Thank you. That's so good. Yeah, thankful. That should drive us to, to prayer. That's a circumstance. Wow, look at all I have. Look at all that God has provided for me. Not just physical things, but all people. Like, that's... We should cry out to the Lord in, in prayer. Sometimes it brings tears in your eyes that sometimes God uh, uh, treats you on that the thing that you have not deserved, but yet God is still good and, and treats you that way. Yeah. You know, that God doesn't treat you the way how you would deserve. Yeah. Yes, also is. Then when you are full with the gratitude and thankfulness and you come before God and the only thing that you can do is just uh, bring that small, small portion of their sacrifice. Just thank you so much, God, for you for what you have done. Yeah. The way how you saved me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So in that we're recognizing the forgiveness that He's provided. Yeah. Yeah. What what circumstances are most likely? Is it usually something bad happens, or you really want something, or, or maybe it's maybe you're driven to prayer because of the spiritual discipline that you've developed, and you just you have a regular kind of time of prayer in your life. Hopefully, it's not before you eat. Before you eat, <laughs> you have to. You absolutely have to. Yeah. Um, hopefully, that goes along with thankfulness. That's probably some of the point of that. Anybody just pray? Hey, everything's going really well. I just want to. Anger? Anger? Yeah, I think the the point that I just like to say is that we should we should go to God at all times. Like it doesn't matter whether it's it's good or bad or, or sin infested or not, or whether it's thankfulness, gratitude, or I need help in a decision, whatever it is, let's turn to God our Father um, in Christ Jesus and count on his faithfulness and his forgiveness. And thank him for his presence. Okay. Um, last question. How might praying in Jesus' name direct the things that we pray for? So if we know we're going to end our prayer in Jesus' name, amen, how should that affect our prayers before that part? Keep us, keep us mindful of his sacrifice. Okay, which, so what What might that do then in the prayers that we pray for whatever the situation is, say? Like it gives it kind of a filter, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Like, okay, if I'm bringing this before Jesus, who has done all these things and given his life for me, like is this, I don't know. Do I really want to pray for, uh, yeah. to win the lottery or something? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it adds maybe a, a gravity to what you're about to, or what you're praying for, yeah. 
So the other name is the, the name of Jesus uh, when we pray. It carries that uh, authority because when we go in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, Christ states that all the authority has been given to me, and therefore I send you, I give you that authority. And also in the other passages, that the significance of Christ's name is like, when also he mentions that all things God has the Father has given to Christ, and Christ is the one that exercises or distributes the judgment, whatever, whatever that would be, either judgment, blessing. So whenever yeah. we pray in that name, we always recognize that that whenever we mention that name, Christ, it carries that eternal divine authority. Yeah. So if I say in Jesus' name, is does that mean that I have the authority that He's going to just answer my prayer for no. a new car? Okay. So God has. Jesus has authority, and when we pray in his name, we are, we are praying in authority and confidence to accomplish the things that he's called us to yeah, accomplish. Yes, yeah, that's what I did. <coughs> According to his will, yeah. not ours. Yeah, because, because like you already was bringing the passage, you brought the passage as an example, like when you pray, our Father, in my name, mm -hmm. the things will be given, and, and also... And Christ is sovereign, and he, like you already said, He will decide whether it is needed or not. Yeah. So basically, we just ask, but let your will be done. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah, good. It also commands for us to pray for others, and especially people we don't like or don't get along with. So it's something that, like, it reminds us, like, yeah, I shouldn't just be praying for everything I want, but maybe there's somebody else who needs prayer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anything else? Any other way that thinking men were were, were praying in, in, in the name of Jesus? How how does that direct our prayers? I would think you'd become a lot more humble in your yeah. prayers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something like so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One more thing I can think of is that. Um, like in regard to the, the presence of God, which Jesus is kind of the, the, the fullness of God in, in a man. Um, just praying in Jesus' name kind of reminds me that the, the Spirit of God too now is, is with us and is, is in us and is ever-present. And man, that, I mean, I can pray knowing, just knowing that God is near and that he, he cares and that he's with me and that's, that just adds life and enthusiasm and, and power to my prayer. It's like when you ask somebody to like do something for you or and you're or like a babysitter and someone's like, well how old are they? What are they? It, it's like the ultimate you can put the ultimate amount of confidence in that, um, like whatever, like if I'm asking someone else to do a task, there's going to be some doubt about like their skill level and are they an expert in this? Are they capable? Do I, have I read their Yelp reviews? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with like when we pray in Jesus name, it's like I, the, the ultimate, like ability to handle the situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. and the, oh, there's like a piece in that. 
So I would think like uh, taking that temple from the Old Testament and, and, and link, linking that to, to the present, like also Paul says that that like he pictured that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the, the presence of God dwells in us and therefore we should always be aware the way how we treat our bodies because that carries that that eternal divine presence in us. We are we are just a witness for that living God who is our bodies. That's the other yeah. like I adding to your comment that you said that that, that spirit and yeah. that's also very good. All right, y'all. I, I would like to pray, and I'm going to try to pray in Jesus' name. Okay, Father, again, thank you for your word. I thank you for all that we can learn uh, from the people of Israel. And um, we just learned so much about you and who you are and how you interact with people and what you require of us. And how you love us and how you're, you're with your people and how you're faithful to everything that you say you're going to do. You, you, you make sure that it happens. So thank you that just we could see that clearly as, as this story unfolds in the Old Testament, as crazy as it gets in, in the next chapters with all of the kings. I mean, it is, the people are a mess. Um, so we can just learn so much about the the human nature, the depravity of, of ourselves and humanity, uh, but then the grace and mercy of you, God. And so we thank you for that. I pray that you would remind us, that, that you would cause us to pray uh, to you through Christ um, all the time, in any circumstance, whatever we are facing or are about to face, whatever we're going to walk into tomorrow, uh, we want to seek you and cry out to you and ask that you would hear our prayers to you. And God, would you reveal if there's, if there's sin in the circumstance that we need to repent of first, and, and, and at the same time be crying out to you, Lord, show that to us as well. Uh, but would you teach us in all things to cry out to you? We thank you that we have uh, the, the mediator, your son, and his atoning uh, sacrifice for us that we can approach you now not through this this physical temple where the curtain was torn but now through Jesus we approach you Father Jesus who intercedes for us um, God we don't deserve that but we thank you for it and would you cause us to be um, uh, to understand our great need for you in all things I do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.